Hello and welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. Today we are discussing the newest season of Game of Thrones. Also glow and insecure and bringing back one fabulous thing. I'm Shannon in Oakland. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So, new season of Game of Thrones. All the men are just crying in their pillows because the ladies are in charge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mostly, right? I have. It'll shock no one that I still have some issues with Jon Snow. <laughs> 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 yeah. A little bit of a power struggle up at uh, Winterfell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of reaction shots of Sansa and a lot of reaction <laughs> shots of Littlefinger. There's a lot of reacting going on between those two. Well, I think inner monologue plotting is going on too. I mean, they're both one to play the long game. And I think, you know, John's in charge right now, but I'm not sure that's how it's going to end up. Like, why is he in charge? Is he in charge because he's a boy? Yes. Basically. Right? Because, like, Sansa is a Stark. I mean, never mind about Jon's hidden, you know, Yeah, yeah. Whatever. They don't know. They don't know. Sansa is a Stark, and yet, just automatically, they made Jon Snow King of the North. I mean, there was some discussion... I feel like Sansa could have fought for it a little bit more, and now she's kind of realizing, oh, these dudes need to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's it really just goes back to the the maester at Castle Black casting his last vote for John to, like, spite everybody else, right? Like, he's sort of there because there were no better candidates, <laughs> if we can be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because he has some kind of magical power to survive battles. <laughs> Right. And he's a pretty good speech giver. He's got a little bit of a Coach Taylor thing going on. All right, that's fair. He, yeah, I mean, he's fine. I mean, I like Jon Snow okay. It's just like they would have all died in the middle of that field if Sansa had not brought in the Vale army, right? Yeah. But that was they also happening died. off screen. Like, she hasn't come, she hasn't been a leader in charge in front of everyone. She's being too much of a little finger and doing it in the shadows. Hmm. You think so? Yeah, because I think she hasn't, she's been arguing with John in front of people, which I think is good. Yeah, what's her agenda? What's her plan? You know, she's not offering anything else except countering him. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how she does while he's away visiting Daenerys because like if she's smart she's got Brienne she's got Ser Davos she's got Littlefinger like she can consolidate some power and turn some heads while he's gone and it doesn't have to be about undermining him it but it really is like her legacy you know she is the the oldest remaining Stark and she should should be taking over by the rules of this land yeah, I think so. But also, it, like, kind of smacks of, like, other people taking credit for her accomplishments, you know, or not even noticing her accomplishments. Does anybody wonder where the Knights of the Vale came from? Like, how did they get there? <laughs> like, were they just passing through and saw got, a got, like, a little bit of a, like, Bernie Sanders Hillary Clinton <laughs> thing <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> yeah. Just 
a little, you know. Yeah, she thanks. needs to get her she needs to get her comms team together and stop letting this dude steal her platform. Well, and she needs to really uh win over Liana Mormont. I mean, that's what she who she needs to align herself with because all those old men are listening to her. But she's all into Jon Snow and it's like, no, get get on the Sansa train. I love Liana Mormont. Ugh. I mean, how can you not love Liana Mormont? She's the best. Is she the best casting choice of the entire year out of everything? Because <laughs> she might be. Okay, mark my words. At the end of season eight, or whatever they're calling it, it's going to be Leanna Mormont sitting on the Iron Throne. <laughs> that would be great. I, I like it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. What's going to happen when Arya gets there and encounters this other little badass? <laughs> oh my god. Well, I'm really looking forward to Arya and Sansa seeing each other because they both have changed so much. And I mm -hmm. think they'll just like each other more now. Yeah, I think they will too. I, I think I think Arya is great. I know, Brandy, in your notes, you mentioned that people thought Arya had turned into a monster. But we're not down with that at all, are we? I keep seeing that on Twitter, people being like, she's lost her humanity. And I'm like, look, I, I want her to find some joy and some peace again. I do feel like she's lost that part of her and it is very focused right now. You know, I wish she had gotten a little more enjoyment out of the reunion with Hot Pie. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think, you know, she... <laughs> Everyone on her list made their own choices, and they're going to have to live with the consequences, you know? Right. Yeah. She, she's been talking about killing them since, what, season two? Yeah. It's not like she's just decided. If you didn't clap with glee when the phrase were all falling down dead, you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That was an amazing <laughs> opening scene. Could not have opened better. That was such a good cold open. And I don't know if you guys get the extras at the end of the episode mm -hmm. when you watch it, but they were talking about that, that that scene where it's actually Arya, you know, mm -hmm. being Frey, um, that wasn't going to be the opening, but after they shot it, um, they just thought it was so great and weird that they made it their cold <laughs> open. Yeah. I think it was a great choice. And I mean, it's only the second time they've ever done that, right? The first time when they revealed that the Hound was still alive. Right. And I don't know. I just kind of like every once in a while when you get something that feels a little extra special. I just kind of <laughs> like that. Totally. Side note, I've just figured out where I've seen the actor who plays Frey before. He's Filch. Yeah. He's Filch. I, I, didn't, I somehow <laughs> did not make this connection. He's filled Professor Slughorn's hanging out over yeah. Sam now. Yeah. I know. AKA Bridget Jones's dad. Yeah. Yeah, AKA and Moulin Rouge. Yeah, there's really there's just not very many British actors, I guess. <laughs> there's a finite number of British actors to populate Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. Well that's yeah, why they yeah. had to call Ed Sheeran in, you know. There weren't enough actors, so they had to call him in. <laughs> okay. God. Now, okay, what did you guys think of the Ed Sheeran cameo? Listen, I probably mentioned how much I hate Ed Sheeran once a week, so <laughs> I was disgusted. I wasn't sure who he was. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know who he was at all. I had no idea who he was, so that was just, you know, I was just waiting for them to gang rape Arya, and when they didn't, I was just really happy. Right. So that was my... <laughs> 
feeling about that scene. But I mean, I've heard of Ed Sheeran, but I didn't know that was him. And I just took him for one of the, you know, one of the boys. You know what I think is the best part of winter coming? We haven't seen any tits. They're all they're all under <laughs> comfortable jackets. We did. We did see tits. Yeah, we in did. In the Grey Worm and Oh um, yeah. In, what is her name? Missing Day. Missing Day. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was. Which was very touching to me, actually. Was it? Oh, that's sweet. I didn't really need to see her tits, though. No, I think they could have edited it differently if they weren't. You know, they got no goods to show on him. But you. Know. Yeah. It's this. At this point, I'm only expecting so much from the show on that level on season seven. You know, yeah. they are who they are. Well, you know, I was thinking how they no longer have people going to brothels or owning brothels yeah. or, you know, shooting mm-hmm. up brothels. And uh, so, like, who's left? You know, who's the lowest woman on the totem pole these days who has to show her tits? Yeah. Someday? Yeah. So she's probably mm-hmm. the only one that doesn't have the no nudity clause among the extended uh, cast of ladies at this point. It was so funny during the premiere, you know, during the part where Sam's dealing with the bowls of shit and the bowls of stew and the bowls of shit, and Ellie's like, oh my god, let's get to the brief nudity. Where was that? Where was that coming in? From the worry. <laughs> he's, he's got the grossest storyline. In, in episode one, there's bowls of shit and I don't know what else. In episode two, he's doing some kind of dermabrasion <laughs> yeah. on Jorah, which is just disgusting. Well, I mean, what what is he going to do in, in episode three? I don't know. When the when Slughorn was like, you should have just cut off your arm when you first noticed you've been touched, I was like, that was an option? Yeah. Yeah. You should have just cut off your arm. <laughs> like, yeah. Come I on. That was, that's why you need the maester around. I'm just wondering, is this grayscale going to become important with the White Walkers or something? It seems like there has to be a point to this grayscale. I don't know. You know, grayscale, the grayscale men are a much bigger deal in the books, but, um, and it's not Jorah, it's somebody else who gets the thing, but, um, I think it's because the folks who make the show think we care about Jorah in some way. I care about him. I don't know if we do. Do you? I guess I Mm -hmm. sort of do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that actor, so... I'm not, like, mad. And I think right now I like the storyline because I think, like, one of the great joys of the late seasons is when characters who've never met each other finally interact. I agree. Yeah. So this is fun to me. That's cool. And I'd forgotten that his father was the uh, the commander of the Night's Watch. And so you can see why Sam has some sort of, you know, connection to him. And, I mean, their interaction is basically the exact opposite of seeing Yara and Ilaria Sand make out. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of characters interacting when they've been far away the whole time. Therese, you must be so happy you finally have Daenerys on the mainland of Westeros. I know you're (laughs) waiting for that. Or how many hours you've been reading those books and watching this show. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, this I, I'm telling you, this series got so much better when it went off book. It really, really did. I mean, it like it, it changed profoundly. And I am very happy that Daenerys is finally in Westeros. And I am very happy that she's about to meet Jon Snow. And um, I think that moving this story along, now that there's an actual end in sight, 
yeah. It makes me feel good that stuff's gonna, you know, stuff's gonna happen. I think it's kind of funny that she's basically like, Westeros is hella drab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody likes Dragonstone. It's like, everyone's like, yeah, this place like, sucks. Let's get out of here. Where did they even put all the Dothrakis? I'm really confused about the geography right now. Because, yeah. like, during the whole boat battle, I was like, when are the dragons going to come? Aren't they, like, right next door? Aren't they all supposed to be together? I know. I don't know how far um, the ships had gone. Probably just too far to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's kind of what I was thinking, but I was just kind of like, this. these guys need cell phones or something <laughs> to, like, call for help. Well, Dragonstone isn't that big. So where are all the Dothrakis staying? Where are their uh, horses grazing? And so many questions. You guys, who cares? She's got those baller-ass dragon scale dresses. I don't even care about the other people. (laughs) And look, the table's finally being used for something other than having sex and making smoke babies. So we've made huge progress. Well, I, I guess I guess at this point we really should talk about that unbelievable scene where it's just a bunch of women strategizing taking control of Westeros from another woman. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, no, it's really incredible that this show started off. I mean, remember, most feminists really hated this show when it started because of all the gratuitous nudity, nudity and rape and all that, which valid points, but. Here it is. There is no other story that has this many women in charge politically or militarily. Mm-hmm. None. Yeah. Yeah, it's really amazing. And again, you know, the after the episode conversation with uh, with the creators, with the producers, and they're like, uh, we don't know how we got here, but it's kind of cool. Oh, these guys. Well, <laughs> those guys. Like, oh, yeah, we suddenly realized we had all these women, you know, all <laughs> together planning this thing. And I was like, I don't know. I guess <laughs> voice you're doing is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, they just, like, backed into it without even planning it. It just, like, happened accidentally that every storyline was being basically pushed forward by a woman that like that was that was a mistake or an accident or something nobody noticed until they happened to all be in the same room around that giant rock of westeros yeah they have like the call sheet for that day and they're just like wait 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 this many women and one scene together and this is the dialogue oh god what if they all have their periods (laughs) what if they all have periods oh oh, come on they are all cycling together already i'm sure of it i'm sure of it olena's the only one olena oh yeah that scene of her mentoring daenerys oh Mm -hmm. so great i think that's really important and it's also really important to note that like as much as i love something like the amazon island and wonder woman or whatever this isn't a thing where like women are in charge because men aren't there we are seeing multiple scenes of men being subservient to women. Yeah. <laughs> pledging their allegiance to women. Yep. And that is really doing something for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, even though I kind of think Danny needs to check her ego, mm-hmm. I do think it's it's it was really fun to, like, have Varys kind of defend himself and all the choices he's made as we're sort of reflecting on how we got here before we go into the final arc. And also, I mean, obviously, Peter Dinklage is, like, one of our greatest actors, but watching his reactions to other people feeling each other out and then, like, 
adjusting what he's gonna say. I mean, this this is great stuff for Tyrion. It's all just it's all just really good. Well, and let's not leave out Euron coming and you know oh God. basically oh God. disco Greyjoy throwing himself <laughs> at this woman who's much older than him. Talking about his two good hands, basically saying, like, honey, I'll finger you all night and all day, and I'll let you run things, but I just want a good piece of it. I mean, that's amazing! That two good hands line was great. It was brilliant. (laughs) That actor, I'm so happy he's having so much screen time. I mean, he was hilarious when he's complimenting Jamie on killing his own men. He's like, yeah, that's kind of crowded. I mean, brilliant! This guy, who we love from Oregon, is killing it right now. Pilu Azbek, yes. Yeah, I love him in everything. I mean, he's also in, like, a couple of my favorite Danish movies. He's just a really, really good actor. So I've never seen him chew the scenery like this, though. So I know people like to make fun of him online, but I'm having a great time with him. I just really, I really hope he didn't kill Yara. Right. No. She stole it. He wouldn't have killed Yara. She's too valuable, I think, to kill and um, I don't know. And also, I know that he didn't kill Ilaria. Is that her name? Sorry. No, that's yeah. I think that's the one he's taking to King's Landing as a gift for Cersei. Right. I I know he didn't kill Ilaria because he's got to deliver her to Cersei, right, as the gift because she killed Cersei's daughter. Oh God! I didn't even put all that together. I was just glad they cut away before the a sensible rape scene below deck. <laughs> No, I yeah, think that's no, no, I think no. he, that's the gift for Cersei. Yeah, that's the gift. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and Theon, I don't I mean, I I get it, but is he like going to be okay or what? I just hope that we're not really building towards a like a like that was the moment. If you were going to do redemption arc for Theon, give it to me right there. If I have to wait even longer and deal with more of his guilt and his damage before we get a redemption arc for him, like, I'm not willing to sacrifice Yara's character for Theon's redemption arc. Well, I had an interesting um, text thread today with some friends about this. And one of my friends said, you know, that she thought that he, when he saw Euron with Yara, that he, if, if Theon had tried to save Yara, Euron would have just killed her, killed her. But if he mm-hmm. acted cowardly, then he would keep her alive. Yeah. So. I think that's giving him a little too much credit. I mean, that might have been the effect, but I don't know if that was meant to be his thought process. That's fair. Yeah, if, I mean, they had all these cutaways to people being hacked apart and him reacting to that. and It didn't seem like he was thinking this out, you know, in a really, like, clear step-by-step. I think he was just freaking out. Yeah, he's in a trauma response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what, though, guys? I am not going to miss those sand snakes. The worst casting on this entire show. Good riddance. <laughs> so which one survived? I was trying to figure out. Unfortunately, they haven't really been differentiated by personality. I don't know if it was a casting. I mean, I think, like... It was just n- not good writing. We just didn't ever really get to know them. I don't know. I I I'm, I think I'm gonna put the blame on the on the actors on this one. There was just a lot of overacting. It's just not good. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, one of them had a whip, and another one had a spear, <laughs> and then one had a. How knife. dare you say there's no character development? They all prefer a different <laughs> weapon. But 
But here's something else that I didn't realize. One of the sand snakes was the star of Whale Rider. Do you guys remember the? Yeah, Keisha Castle Hughes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't quite make that connection. Yes. But I don't know if she survived. I don't think so. So I think at this point, my biggest fears are that we're not going to get our Stark reunions. I am really pissed that they have not received a raven about Bran's arrival at Castle Black. Like, what are what are they slacking on there? Like, I really thought they were going to get that before John decided to leave. Um, yeah, I, yeah, the Bran storyline needs to start connecting with everyone else. It's, he's the, he's the one that's still stuck like in another land. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I just, like, I when I was rewatching season six before the premiere, like, the scene where Sansa and Jon finally see each other after so long, like, I want more of that. Like, yeah. I need that scene with every combination of characters I can get it with. We've really earned it. <laughs> and please don't take it away from me. I really feel like the Ravens are really slow right now. Because how have Sansa and Jon <laughs> not found, found out about the phrase? Yeah, the whole thing is weird right now. I don't know what the communication schedule is. I don't know where the Dothraki are staying. Yeah. Like, logistically, we're really just having to accept a lot. I think it's like some kind of maester cutback in Westeros. <laughs> the Raven Network is down. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're laying off maesters left and right, who's sending out yeah. the Ravens? Everything yeah. slows well, down. Well, I think, actually, I think, didn't wasn't a plot point that Ramsay killed a lot of Ravens? So maybe I can get on board with that a little bit more. Oh yeah, oh, interesting. I think I feel like I remember that being mentioned that he had killed a bunch of people. Maybe I'm making it up, but it seems like something he would. This do. sounds like Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm looking. I'm just looking back at. Do you guys remember we did a a text version of a conversation after the season finale uh, last year? Yeah. Do you remember this? So. I, I was looking over it. I, I just sort of pulled it out because I was curious what, you know, people, what we had had to say. Um, and um, I just found something, Shannon, that you had written. And if you don't mind, I would like to read it. Sure. I, I have no memory of it, so go for it. <laughs> John being crowned king in the north has irked me on a deep level. On both <laughs> the After the Throne show and the Watch podcast, they hailed John for, quote, winning the season and being the hero of the story. It doesn't matter that we had over five women overthrow government, siege cities, win battles, etc. One man rises from the dead because of a woman's power and then almost loses a battle, which is eventually won by a woman's tactical decision, and then is crowned king by a woman, well, lady child, badass queen, and he is the hero? <laughs> it's amazing how our narrative bias for male heroes run deep. Sounds like me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I think that even as innovative as the show is and how it's breaking so many barriers for female characters, they can't they can't have them all be female heroes. There still has to be a traditional white male hero who's overcoming his odds, which are pretty easy, and that that his exceptionalism will be crowned. I think that that's they can't even help themselves from having at least one of the narratives be that. Right. I think the thing that bothers me about John is just that he hasn't really had a lot of character development. He's had a lot of adventures he's gone on, but he's essentially the same dude as when he started out, which is much less interesting 
than what has happened to Daenerys, what has happened to Sansa, even the dark version of it that's happened to Cersei, you know? It's just... It's just the same dude. He's He could have given that same speech back in season one. Mm-hmm. Could he, though? I think that he's gotten a lot more leadership skills. I think he's just gotten a lot more broody. <laughs> Even more broody, you know? I don't... I don't know. I know, you're not a fan of Jon Snow. I don't hate him. I just feel like compared to the, like... The way that I care about some of the other characters, they've, I, they've just never hooked me with him. And I really think it is because all, all of his decisions ultimately come down to what he wants to do. Um, and part of that is protecting other people, so it's not like he's doing bad things. But, like, he's never learned to really listen to someone else. And... I don't know, that's just, that's not very interesting to me. I feel like other people have had to make harder decisions than he's had to make. True. The hardest decision, or the hard, the hardest thing he's gone through, basically, is being resurrected, and he didn't make that decision. Right, and they haven't really explored that very much, actually. Like, I feel like I, I could get down with more of that, like a little more, like, Buffy season six darkness <laughs> yeah, yeah. from him, like, really exploring what he's been through. Um, and I hope that that comes back a little more. I think the fact that they're keeping Melisandre in the mix means maybe we'll see a little bit more about what all that means. And the fact that um, the Hound has hooked up with the other Lord of Light followers. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I mean, I like that I don't really know where a lot of it is going at this point. And I have my hopes and I have my annoyances that Brienne hasn't had anything to do so far this season. Yeah. Um, but overall, I feel like I'm, I'm just really excited to see where they're taking us. Like, they, if even if they don't realize why they're doing it, they seem to be stumbling in a good direction. Yeah. My main bitch, Cersei, is doing good. You know, I mean, she's, you know, her decisions are okay. Um, she needs to actually do something. She's, and she's also seems like she's teetering on the edge of the abyss. So, I don't know. Once somebody else gets to King's Landing, I think we're going to get some good stuff. Yeah. Who's going to King's Landing, though? Who's, who's going there? Well, I guess Arya s- switched it up, but, mm-hmm. um. The Tyrells, they're going to go for the yeah, siege. The Tyrells. Yeah, they got their double plan to go to King's Landing and to Casterly Rock, right? Right. Right. Okay. All right. That's cool. There's a sense of inevitability with Daenerys, um, but I don't think it's going to be that simple. I agree. I think they're making us feel that way, and then there's going to be some surprises. I mean, it was really surprising when Euron attacked their fleet yesterday. It was like, whoa. Oh, my God, I gasped. I was like, la, 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 we're having a nice talky episode. And then I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my God. That ship with that ramp that comes down? Baller. It was really badass, actually. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> and he's just, like, riding on it. It was like, I love this character. He's got full crazy eyes. Yeah. Full crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's completely crazy. But he's got a lot more style than Ramsey Bolton ever had, you know? Oh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. think that that really helps him a lot as as being like the resident crazy bad guy. I think he's more like the Hound than anybody else. Like when the Hound would do crazy hmm. violent stuff back in the I day. I mean, I'd watch that hand-to-hand combat for sure. Yeah. 
we'll see. The Hound is fascinating to me, too. I wonder how he's going to come back into all of this. I don't know. Again, the possibilities. There's so many possibilities right now. I'm very excited. Yeah. yeah. There are. That's because we've got a lot of distinct characters whose backstories have been built up over many, many, many seasons. And mm-hmm. you can really feel like each self-contained character and what they might or might not do and who they might or might not be with. I think it's it's a really great culmination of the the work that they've been doing all along, which is kind of great. That's why it's the best show on television. Is it? <laughs> is it? I think um. so. It's pretty close. I mean, yeah. yeah, I might have I might have given the Americans the other slot, but I didn't really love a lot they did on the last season. But that's another discussion. Yeah. Well, I have a lot more love for Game of Thrones from last season and this season. I mean, that kind of redeemed the show for me. But you know, nothing is as good as the Great British Baking Show. But well, <laughs> okay, if we're gonna bring in. <laughs> Foreign shows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really just bringing that up to tell you what uh, my fella called it the other day, which was Game of Scones. Very good. Fair. Very good. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. So I thought I would just, you know, put that out there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Ed, for mm-hmm. the puns. Always. Yeah. Well, the other show with badass ladies taking control literally with their hands and body slamming other ladies... <laughs> awesome show of the summer, which is Glow on Netflix. Yeah, I am. I have some issues with this show, but I am so happy it exists. I guess is the best way for me to summarize how I feel about it. I I watched it all in a few sittings. Um, I really enjoyed it, but I also feel like it's still in potential zone kind of right now. Mm-hmm. So I I really hope that season two can kick it up a notch with the relationships, with the supporting characters, with everything else. But I mean, uh, Alison Brie is such a good actress. <laughs> she really like I wasn't thinking about any of her other other characters at all. Yeah. While I was watching this, she really inhabits the character of Ruth, and I love the friend fight. Um, it's so real, and I love that that you know that tension between them exists. And, and then get and then they get to beat it out. I mean, that's great. Well, like well, literally beat it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And also Betty Gilpin as Debbie is. Uh, I think she's a newcomer. I've never seen her in anything before, but she was wonderful. Yeah. Yep, just a ton of fun. I mean, there's not much to say except it's a lot of fun and just it's like popcorn TV. But it's kind of another one where we sort of unnecessarily have a lot of time with Mark Maron's character that I don't know if we really need, you know. Right. He's kind of the Jon Snow of this <laughs> show. You know, I've only seen two episodes of Glow. Uh, you think I, I should hang in there? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I do think that it drags a little bit. You know, they're all they're building until they're gonna all create their characters and they're gonna have the showcase at the end. And part of me was thinking like that could have been mid season and then we could have seen some more development past that. But I really think it it was a pleasure to finally watch all of that start to come together. Um, and particularly Betty Gilpin's character's arc because, you know, she's really kind of like finding herself for lack of a less cheesy way to put it whereas I think Allison Brie's character Ruth was already in kind of like 
I don't know, already very sure of who she was when things started, but just depressed. Right. And we haven't really had a lot of explanation for why she, you know, the inciting incident kind of, of her having slept with her best friend's husband. Harry Crane. And then, yes, oh God, get Harry Crane out of here. So weird. So weird to see him. Um, Who's also in Devil Wears I'm, so, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm really sorry to that actor, but I just don't think I'm ever going to buy him anywhere. I'm just always going to see Harry Crane's late season suits and be like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Rich Summer. No, no offense. Rich Summer. Poor Rich Summer. Sorry, I'm sure you're a really nice guy. Uh, he might be ruined for me forever. I saw him in my neighborhood once. You should tell him. He's a very nice guy. <laughs> We're sure. I just, I think, I think I'm really happy. You know, we we're sort of in peak TV. A lot of people have talked about, and I'm wondering, like, could this show have happened at any other time than like right now on Netflix, like ladies wrestling show? <laughs> Come on, that's pretty awesome. Well, we do have to, we have to thank Netflix for for just making space for this stuff, for making space for a lot of experiments. Absolutely, and I think. I'm just craving really lighthearted, fun things right now. Like, I don't want to watch anything sad and depressing. Our country is already sad and depressing. So, bring it on. Bring on weird lady wrestling shows from the 80s. Sounds great. I just want to shout out an essay that the actress um, Betty Gilpin wrote for Glamour about this, like, being her first major role and about her own body image issues and doing this role where she was in a leotard the whole time. Um, if you haven't seen the show, um, she's like the all-American blonde, but the essay starts with her talking about like what it feels like to develop incredibly large breasts at a large at a at a young age, and like just never feeling comfortable in your own body until she did this show. I just want to read like a small bit of it. It's a wonderful essay. She's talking about rehearsing for the show. I slammed to the ground, screaming to sell the fall. The 12 other women pounded the floor with their feet and fists and howled at the ceiling. Then my moment was over, and the next duo scrambled to the center of the ring, taunting an imaginary audience. We were all mermaids with muscle. I howled back at them. The months that followed are hard to describe. Studio 54 in 1600 Salem, Massachusetts, maybe. The 14 of us put our faces in each other's armpits and crotches, grabbing the meat of each other's stomachs and thighs as we scream danced each other to the ground. My body was listening, talking to her body, to her body, to her body. Like, that is an amazing thing for something someone to write about their experience, like, on a show full of women. That, that's like... I just I just loved that so much. That's so great. the essay's in glamour. It's called um, What It's Like to Have Pea-Sized Confidence with Watermelon-Sized Boobs. <laughs> it's a wonderful piece. I really liked it. Yeah, and it kind of gets at why something like a show like this is so important, even if it doesn't do everything perfectly, even if it's got a lot of room to grow, like seeing that many women on screen together matters. Yeah, and diverse women too of all, all different types of women was really exciting to see. Yeah. And they need to follow some of the side characters a lot more in season two, I, I hope, but because there is some good diversity there that, that could use more depth. Absolutely. All right. I'll be watching. I promise. 
Well, also debuting last night, another one of our favorite shows. They got the primo spot right after Game of Thrones, and that is Insecure. Back with a I mean, really great, really great episode I, to start. I do have to say that they they showed ballers first in between Game oh, of did Thrones they? and Insecure. Yeah, yeah, Insecure is Unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, how is ballers still on? I don't know. Just I don't know. sheer sheer force of the rock um all right well when i'm watching on hbo go insecure comes right after game of thrones because i don't watch ballers <laughs> well i have hbo now so i can just like click on it but i have to yeah. watch a fucking ballers ad in front of everything that i watch on hbo now yeah they're really still trying to make that happen stop uh, trying to make ballers happen so, Teresa, now, can you be unequivocally enthusiastic about Insecure, at least? <laughs> but just wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I know. I'm, I, I was thinking I was going to be the curmudgeon of this episode. But um, uh, a role that Shannon usually fills beautifully. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> no, I, lo- I, was, I was just so happy to be back with Issa and, and everybody I could have done with less Lawrence fucking the woman from Best Buy, whose name I can't Ugh. remember. I could have done with less of any of that, honestly. I don't. I was mesmerized by her uh, pierced nipples. Oh, yeah, they were great. <laughs> as a side note. I know. I mean. Oh, that, that was, was intense. That was intense. And I just don't care that much about Lawrence. But I know that there's, like, a whole thing going on with, like, like the guys that watch Insecure and the women who watch Insecure, and there's a lot of disagreement over what went down between Issa and Lawrence. So I think that's sort of interesting. So I understand why they're offering that up for their male fans, because uh, there are a lot. Um, but I could do without it. I think any scene that has Issa and her little friends group uh, is awesome, yeah. and I I think episode two is going to have even more of that. I think they're all just so amazing together. It definitely seems like previews for this season. That's going to be a lot more of the friend group, which I'm really excited about because that whole episode where they rent that beach house is uh-huh. so good. Yeah, well, I believe that they bumped them to regulars, okay. so I think that is coming a lot. Um, and yeah, I love a good party scene, so that was. That was great. Where the blood... I had had to watch that a couple times. Where the blood show up. (laughs) And they have a choreographed dance, basically. Yeah, yeah. Is this choreography? It made me laugh so hard. (laughs) That was so funny. And the other thing I thought was so funny was the the way the episode opens with her doing this uh, online dating stuff. And I've seen about a million dating montages... Mm-hmm. But I thought this one was great, especially because it just, like, goes into her own little rap, which is yeah. fabulous. So, uh, that was And honestly, as, as the person here who has been single in the age of online dating, so fucking true. It is so much work. It is so depressing. I mean, it is spot fucking on, that whole description of it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's great. I'm, I'm really excited that it's back. So I will be the contrary person, and I like the Lawrence stuff, because I love that she's not just immediately over him, and it's not just like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all empowered now. I'm just going out with my new clothes, with my friends. Like, 
she's really confused and hurt, and he's really confused and hurt, and they both, they spent so many years together that you can see that they don't really know how to be themselves without each other, and I loved their weird having sex thing that just, like, happened. It's like, yeah, that's weird shit that happens in those kind of breakups, <laughs> so... I, I just, I, I'm really looking forward to more unflinching honesty, vulnerability that she's already showing this season. Oh, I don't, I don't want her to be over Lawrence. I just thought there was too much Lawrence in the episode. That's all. Well, whenever they do interviews with the cast, pictures of the cast, it's always the three of them. Issa, you know, Molly and Lawrence. So I think he's here yeah. to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's very easy on the eyes, so that helps. Did he get more buff this season? I, I think feel so. Like his arms are bigger. <laughs> like he got the first season script and said he was going to be having sex a lot, and he was like, I better do something. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better work on that. Yeah, I think also, like, I just love that the show is a little bit of a love letter to South LA and Inglewood, you know, the montages that they do that are so reminiscent of the montage you've seen a million times of, like, Beverly Hills and the Hollywood sign. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, apartment complexes that are called the Malibu and painted, like, coral. Yeah. <laughs> Compton. Like, I, I have such a sincere love for all of that, too, as, like, a resident of L.A. who works in South L.A. I mean, it's, it's great. She has such a specific vision, and she has so much charisma, and the writing is so crisp. It's just a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love all the stuff at her work. I love that she really wants to do a good job. Like, she, she doesn't... She actually likes working at a nonprofit, And she's so cool to us, but then I love that she's struggling to be cool to these students. When <laughs> <laughs> the students do all snacks. Yeah, I saw that coming. I know, and all of the white nonsense from her coworkers is just like, yes, please make fun of people like this. Like, please shine a spotlight <laughs> on this kind of ridiculousness. Oh, and cameo appearance by White Josh. Yep. From Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> White Josh. <laughs> so great. They, and they do this after show thing, which I'm not actually sure about. The wind down. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have time in my life for after shows, but I'm happy that people are like having fun doing them. You know. Well, I found the ones after this season of Girls kind of insufferable because everything they said I disagreed with. So maybe um, this will be a little better. I won't be screaming at my. Yeah, I mean, I felt I felt better before you described that after show with the the dudes from Game of Thrones. So maybe I don't. <laughs> Maybe I don't need to know. Maybe I can let the art stand for itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let the art stand for itself. All right. Well, bringing it back from the past, one fabulous thing. Yes, it is the great return of one fabulous thing. Well, Therese, would you like to go first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you cut me with a mouthful of wine there. Sure. Well, speaking of L.A., I wanted to talk about a podcast that um, I have been a longtime listener of. Um, and uh, now that we get to do One Fabulous Things again, I thought this would be a good place to mention it, which is uh, You Must Remember This. Um, do you guys listen to You Must Remember This? 
I do, absolutely. Karina Longworth. Karina Longworth, um, based in L.A., who does a podcast which is like this kind of geeky, kind of hipstery, kind of uh, fascinating look at the last hundred years of Hollywood, basically. And every season she has a series with a theme. Last, The last series was Dead Blondes. Uh, and every episode they... They, she uh, profiled a blonde, Hollywood blonde. That ended I up think that was her best one so far. Yeah, that I was loved really the dead great. Blonde season. From Jean Harlow to Marilyn Monroe to um, Dorothy Stratton. Yeah, it was great. She had some deep cuts. Yeah. She had all the classics. I, I loved the dead blonde yeah, season. Yeah, that was really good. And I enjoyed her series on MGM also. Um, more, much more like yeah. classic Hollywood stuff, but that was really great. And this season, she's doing something really interesting. Um, she was originally going to include the actress Jean Seberg in her Dead Blonde series, and then decided to leave her out and um, pair her with Jane Fonda. And so this series is called Jean and Jane, and it's about the parallel careers and lives of Jean Seberg, who's probably most famous for Breathless and Jane Fonda, who we know for a hundred different reasons. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's just been really, really fascinating. Um, and they have a lot of similarities in their lives. They both moved to Paris and married French people and both got involved in um, civil rights politics. And, uh, and then the things veered off. But anyway, it's a great podcast. I really love it. And if you're interested in Hollywood and... Um, sort of old Hollywood and actors from the golden age and Karina Longworth is has this really kind of interesting dark <laughs> sense of humor but also a really great feminist take on especially when she's talking about female characters and what it was like and you know still to a certain extent is like to be an actress in Hollywood. Her her mini series about Joan Crawford is also very oh. good. I think I've I've really liked all of the series she's done except for the one about Charles Manson's Hollywood. I do not understand why people in LA are so obsessed with the Charles Manson thing, but oh my god, everyone is so obsessed with it. I I admit <laughs> that I did not listen to the Charles Manson series because I just did not. I think to. I've listened to just about every episode besides that that one because I got three in and I was like, this just isn't for me. Mm-hmm. But I think that was actually her most popular one, so I agree that I uh, you know I realize I'm a dissenter. No, me um, too. But she does some really good research. She's she's on point with her stuff, and I always come away from every episode with like five different movies that I want to watch that I've never seen before because she does so much research. And, and always mentions, like, people's, like, uh, deep into their filmography movies, not just the ones that everybody's seen. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy that she's doing what she's doing. It's a wonderful series. Yeah, and um, it's called You Must Remember This. You can get every episode she's ever done. So if you're on, like, a long car ride or just have a lazy afternoon to kill you can go through a whole bunch of them it's just really interesting and entertaining so that's although fun fun trivia fact you actually you can't get episode one because she didn't have the music rights to what she uh put out there so Mm. you can get it but you can't get it legally oh it's the lost episode (laughs) cool you know what you're right i don't have episode one 
you gotta you gotta dig a little deeper if you want to find that All one. Right. So <laughs> I'm gonna be looking for it. Okay, you must remember this podcast with Karina Longworth. So my one fabulous thing is a series that we mentioned when we were talking about our summer preview, and we were hoping it was gonna be great. And I am pleased to report that I think it's great, and that is the bold type on Freeform. Um, as we're recording this, we uh, I've seen the sort of double episode premiere, and then we've had one episode since, and I just think it's so fun. And f- and full disclosure, and I, I said this before when we talked about it, I have two really good friends who work on the show, but that's how you know I'm really telling the truth, because if I had something bad to say about it, I would be saying nothing at all. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, yeah, it it, just I just, totally I was so fun. pleased. Yeah, it's just... I think we were talking about it before and you said basically it's just so it's just so easy to like and I think that's a really good description of it. Characters are easy to like. I love that it's kind of it's just like a glossy fun summer show. W- reminds me a lot of Younger which we've mentioned a ton of times before and which remains uh, one of my favorite shows. New season is also really entertaining me. Really good. Um but it's, a, it's essentially a show about, like, women championing each other, you know? I can almost compare it to Call the Midwife in a weird way. <laughs> but, yeah. like, with high heels and makeup, you know? <laughs> if you squint. And, and less birth. Yeah, and I think it has, it has, it has a lot of potential for the storylines to get deeper as it goes along. Um, and I just know, like, I'm really looking forward to watching the new episode tomorrow, and if you're looking for a great summer show that is, like, just the right amount of fun and engaging and smart, I really think it's hitting a great balance, and it's so early that that makes me just, like, really hopeful for where it's gonna go. I couldn't say anything more. It is just total fun, and it's not stupid, and it's not offensive, it's just really good and really fun. And that's a hard combo these days. So I have one request. If anyone is listening from the bold type, I want more of Sage, the sex columnist. <laughs> it was like a tiny Oh, yeah, she kind of got, she was like there for two seconds there and kind of got two pushed seconds. aside so that, so that Jane could write her column. Yes. Yeah. She's there for two seconds. She looks really interesting. She doesn't look like anyone else on that staff. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe you'll figure it out. And I want to know more about her. So give me Sage. My one fabulous thing you should all go see this weekend. Brandy and I saw it yesterday, which is the movie Girls Trip. It is a total fucking blast. It's so fun. (laughs) We were laughing so hard that we were crying. And then I was crying for real because it's really touching. So it's got like, it's a great friendship movie. It's really heartfelt. It's also ridiculous and raunchy. It really reminded me of Bridesmaids a lot. And they just take everything to an 11 in, in the perfect way. I cannot wait to see this movie this weekend. It was a little bit like they saw Bridesmaids and were like challenge accepted. And <laughs> as much as I, you know, think we don't need to compare every female comedy to that, there was there were like parallels where I was like, wow, they really, they really took that scene from Bridesmaids and they fucking topped it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some sequences where I was just like both bewildered and laughing so hard because it was just so. Yeah, they just took it so far. They just kept going with every joke until you be, you're laughing 
and then you get confused and then you're laughing times 10. Like I, I love that it had that level of surprise to it. All the actresses had great chemistry together. Fantastic chemistry. I love that the friendship stuff was like really sincere. I mean, to the point of being a little cheesy in places, but I like that kind of stuff. Me too. You know, the, the emotion and the laughs and the raunchiness were all just at peak levels, you know? Like, the movie could barely contain itself, which is why I think we... we it was about 30 seconds into the c credits before we were like, what are they going to do for the sequel, you know? Yeah. Because it was just like, there has to be more. <laughs> and the characters were so well drawn, you know? I mean, always when you get a group of girls, like, they're, you know, there's like the crazy one and the kind of prudish one and the driven one. You know, they're always like a little bit of a character of each other. Of, your, of themselves, but they were all so well-defined. Their conflicts felt really real. Like, it was like, wow, this was a good job to choose for this person because it conflicts with this person's job. It just, everything felt really thoughtful. And yeah, they just seemed like they were having so much fun together. Just like, yeah, chemistry you could for feel days. It. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you're right. The characters are archetypes in a lot of ways, but they're placed in such a creative environment and with the like such a like freewheeling storyline that you're not going to feel like that when you're watching it you know you're only just going to think about it afterwards and be like that was nice i i really like adding this character to the list of characters that fit this archetype you know like yeah dina's d is yes she fits in the like the like melissa mccarthy from bridesmaids or like zach alfanakis from the hangover archetype but like we needed that. Like, we need her <laughs> in oh, that yeah. category. She's so good. I mean, everyone is talking about Tiffany Haddish being amazing, and it's true. She's incredible. She's just... <laughs> she, she's hilarious. And I have to say, Jada Pinkett Smith was so good, and she plays kind of like the dorky, you know, goody two-shoes. And sometimes she just had these throwaway lines that were so funny. Like, they were like, you can't keep living with your mom. And she's like, but I love living with my mom. <laughs> so sweet and like I mean I just I love when characters are just totally themselves and but you built a good world and a good relationship between them where you can get away with silly lines like that it was it was, it was so fun and the audience was just loving it oh and we and there are just um, a lot of really hot men in it too oh, yeah. <laughs> not to be be remiss if we didn't mention the eye candy <laughs> And the, they're wearing great clothes. Their hair looks great. It's got everything you want. You know, it's like a total fantasy. It's like, yeah, you're going on this great girl's trip and you look great. <laughs> I, you know, I like some good clothes. Yeah, the outfits were incredible. So, yeah, totally fun. Total blast. Go see it. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on Game of Thrones, Insecure, and Glow on Twitter. So tweet us your thoughts. Uh, you know, if you can only pick one lady to survive Game of Thrones and sit on the Iron Throne, who are you going to pick? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby, on Twitter at Downton Gabby, on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com, and pretty much everywhere in the world at Downton Gabby. Uh, we will see you next month. Fast, die young, bad girls, do it well. Live fast, die young, bad girls, do it well. Live.